Namaste and welcome to Divine Talk Radio. Heal, empower, and awaken with your hosts from the Divine Lineage Healing Center in Laytonville, California. I'm Cindy Lindsay Rial, and you're listening to Soul Talk, brought to you by Divine Lineage Healing Center in Laytonville, California. Visit us on the web at www.divinelineage.org. You know, I'm fond of saying that that old expression, seeing is believing, should be understood differently from the spiritual viewpoint, as believing is seeing. Because definitely our beliefs guide our perceptions and how and what we can see and how and what we can experience. And when we believe in God, we can see the evidence of God is everywhere. But you know, perception is a tricky thing. So today I'm going to argue against believing, or at least going beyond belief, and into knowing of the truth. In our perceptual knowing, we could be like walking along and see a rope or a stick on the ground. But when it moves, all of a sudden we see it's a snake. We believe it in one instant to be a stick or a rope, and in the very next instant we believe it to be a snake. Now, this is an example of when we think we know something, but it really is just believing in a particular perception that we're having in the moment. We're perceiving it as a rope or a stick in one moment, and in the next moment we are perceiving it as a snake. It's a perceptual experience. It's not necessarily the truth. It wasn't the truth. It was a stick or a rope. We accept that it's the truth, it's the snake, when we see it move. But that's exactly the reason that today I'm going to argue that spirituality needs to go beyond mere believing and into knowing. But I'm also going to argue today that there is a truth to know, and that that truth is guiding everything that we think we know, even if we don't know it's guiding us. It's an underlying set of rules or principles of energy by which creation works. And even beyond the creation, there's an energy and it has principles that govern how all things are created from it. And I will argue that that is a truth, perhaps the truth. And there is a law of nature that guides all things, even if we don't know it. But we can know it. Now, you may call that truth God, or or you may not. You may call that the Divine Mother, or you may not. But believing in God or the Divine Mother does not necessarily lead us to know this truth. Believing is utterly unimportant to the existence of what is true, and unfortunately, is a poor guide to knowing and using the nature of that truth. Believing allows us to see the possibility there, allows us to start seeing the patterns of God. But unless we pay deeper attention to those patterns of that energy, which I'm calling God or Mother Divine today, but you can call whatever you want the laws of nature, 
unless we pay deeper attention, we do not really know that truth and how it operates. Now, certainly, pure belief in God can lead us to some beautiful things. But what we're talking about today is knowing of that truth. Belief in God is not the same as knowing what is true. Certainly, there are many people who believe in God and have no idea what is true or not true beyond their personal perceptual belief in a God. Whether you believe in photons or not does not affect their behavior. Whether you believe in consciousness or not does not affect its existence. Believing affects our actions, but not the actions of nature or the truth of the energies of creation underlying all things. And even more troubling is that in modern times, it seems that believing too often is not only affecting our behaviors in ways that are troubling, believing is leading to prejudice and hatred in modern times and in our societies. My belief is right. Your belief is wrong. I'm supreme. You're lesser. It's a, a terrifying aspect of the nature of perceptual belief. Those who think they know can be just believing what they want to know and imposing that on others. In that way, believing becomes a kind of fanaticism based only in the per personal prejudice, personal need, or personal attachment. You know, Winston Churchill once defined a fanatic as someone who won't change his mind and can't change the subject. And it's the cannot change his mind part of that that's the most troubling for our discussion today. Because our senses and mind are attuned to an illusion of form which we believe to be real. Thus, our everyday beliefs arise from some persistent illusions of the human mind and its limitations of senses and perception. We have to get past those limitations of senses and perception. We have to expand ourselves beyond that way of knowing. We have to be able to change our mind, to be able to see the truth. So I'm arguing today for knowing that truth, a truth beyond our senses and beyond our beliefs, a truth that lies in an unseen world that, is, that guides everything, everything in this world and everything beyond this world, a truth that even guides this illusion that we are deluded by. There is a truth of nature. And that truth of nature, that's going to be our first approach for knowing this greater truth of God. And that's through, guess what? Not spiritual method, but scientific method. Now, knowing does not come from believing something is true, but from the stance of observation and experimentation that can result in repeatable actions and reactions. 
That's a traditionally scientific approach to knowing. And the knowing of truth within the creation can come very much through that scientific method. Science uses their minds to find keener and keener means of perception and then uses experimentation to know about that which is unseen and unknown with our normal senses. Until we could experience the curvature of the earth through Magellan and Elcano's expeditions of circumnavigation in the 1500s, some people believed the earth was round and others believed that it was flat. As we advanced further in science with our ways to perceive, we found that the earth is not completely round, but instead an oblate spheroid or a sphere with a big bulge around the equator. Our knowing changes as our ability to perceive and experience becomes refined. We have to be able to change our minds. We understand the nature of things through finding that in the unseen world, through experimentation and careful observation of what becomes repeatable and predictable. Can we predict that if we do X, Y will happen? It is one way of knowing if that can be repeatable time and time and time again, we've come upon a kind of truth. Now, you might say, what does this got to do with spirituality, Cindy? But Sri Kaleshwar loved scientists, and he loved the things that they were finding. And he did say that at some point, science and spirituality would find their commonalities of truth. And you know what, when he was talking about that, that immediately made sense to me. Of course, I come from a scientific family. I grew up with scientific method. That's the only religion present there. But it makes sense because it's this type of delicate and deliberate observation and experimentation that leads to knowing of the invisible laws beneath the ordinary perception of illusion. That's part of spirituality. That's part of scientific method. Sri Kaleshra also told his students to observe carefully and beautifully. Observe. He said to observe him, to observe the saints, to observe the abadus. He also said that we should observe our own meditation, to not just float away in trance, but to reserve some portion of our consciousness to observe that phenomena, that experience, that state of consciousness. He even said that after meditation or mantra repetition, we should take some time to observe and recognize the energy that's there. To bring to everyday consciousness the experience of meditation, mantra, and trance. And I think this is Sri Kalesha's way of telling us to observe ourselves when we are beyond our mind, to allow some aspect of mind, that observer state, to bring us information about the states of consciousness that live in meditation and mantra and energy practices. And in that observation, to come to know what is beyond mind and what is potentially a repeatable truth. 
for spiritual knowing is it's incredibly important to experience something beyond the mind. The mind is that which believes. The mind is that which attaches to the illusion of form and connects us into that believing perceptual system that is so tricky. But our real knowing of truth, it has to go beyond form to the very energies and principles that create and govern form and to the energies and principles even before form. We have to learn to go beyond our normal senses, to learn to see and touch with our hearts and with our souls. We have to learn to hear beyond our ears and the sounds of the illusion into a silent pulsation of energy. We have to learn to experience the vibrational form in direct engagement. Not from its translation to light or color or form of this world, but from the vibrational energetic itself. And how do we do this? We do it in meditation. But we also do it in other states of trance during healing or devotional or energetic practices. Any time we're attaining a state of consciousness, which is beyond the normal state of senses attached to the illusion, it's a time when we can gain information about the truth of things. But we still have to be observe and experiment to do that. Otherwise, we're just in the midst of a fun experience. Unless we can take it to observation, unless we can take it to experimentation of, is this repeatable? We do not really know that truth. You know, I was talking a little while ago to a super dear friend of mine who is a scientist. And I was mentioning these concepts to him um, that I wanted to talk about. And he was telling me that the mathematical equations predicted the existence of black holes long before scientists could find a way to observe them. Similarly, the idea that time is linear doesn't match the mathematical equations. So the mathematicians know that time is not linear, but we can't find a way to uh, an experiment to show and and allow us to perceive that. As Einstein put it, the distinction between the past, the present, and the future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. It is a stubbornly persistent illusion, and we have many of those in our world. But whether we believe time to be linear or not, what difference does that make to know that? And here I'm making this huge argument. We have to know it rather than believe it. So, so what's the point of knowing there? You may argue that if we could perceive or believe time as something other than linear, all of everyday life would be different. You really wouldn't have to know that. You wouldn't need scientific proof of it. If you could just perceive it or believe it, then in fact we would all behave radically differently in our everyday lives if we did not believe in linear time. And you could also argue that if we just believe in God or in loving other people or believe in tolerance and the positive human values, that we could stay away from the prejudices created by simple belief. 
Can't we just live by positive principles? Well, well, yeah, we can. We can follow a bhakti and dharmic or right action way of being in the world that would make the world a better place. But to show the difference here then between believing in it as a way of guiding our actions and knowing a thing as a way of guiding our actions, I kind of want to go back to this notion of nonlinear time for a moment and just give you an example from my own experience. And I believe that if we know how to access the state of consciousness that experiences time as nonlinear and know how to operate within that state of consciousness, that that's an amazing, amazing experience and an amazing healing tool as well. So I had this amazing, wonderful woman client who had unfortunately been repeatedly abused by her mother during childhood. And there was one very early experience of that abuse, which was sort of a focal point, which was constellating or crystallizing her feelings about the whole set of abuse that she had endured and about her mother and about herself as well. And because of this event this subsequent, and the subsequent abuse that she experienced with the mother, she currently had no relationship with her mother, had not talked to her in many years, and was not willing to, for that matter. And her mother hadn't talked to her either. Now, we worked together on a number of things before we did the approach that I'm going to give the example of today. We needed to do some very deep underlying work to clear her emotional energies and clear some of the experiences that she'd had, and so on, and to clear her womb chakra. And we did lots of different work to make sure that when we finally did this approach and we took her back to a time of the primary abusive experience, that she could, could remain untriggered and choose differently. So I, I really i am being careful to let you know that I would not recommend doing this approach without that prior work. It absolutely needs to be done first. However, when she was ready for the experience, it was life-changing. In the experience, I aided her in attaining a state of seeing and experiencing that prior abuse, a state of being in that moment. In a sense, we were accessing the nonlinear time state so that she could be, truly be, act and interact in that moment from her childhood. And her instruction was in that, in that interaction was to meet it differently. She was to try and observe and hold love and compassion and forgiveness in the moment of that abuse. And to do this, she needed to try to see the pain that was driving her mother to act as her mother did. But also my client needed to hold her own self-respect enough and her own sense of self-worth enough to stay in her own power and choose the highest aspects of herself in those most difficult moments. And she did beautifully. She went back to that early experience and could see it very clearly. She could even hear and remember things happening in that time that she had not remembered in other experiences and that she had not been recalling in modern life. So we had some sense, okay, she's there. She could also see her mother very clearly, clearly enough 
to see that her mother must have been abused herself as a child and endured terrible things, and that that had led her to how she had abused my the woman, my client. And she felt, my client felt a sense of compassion for that for the very first time. And from that compassion, she was able to, in that moment, offer her mother love and forgiveness. And in response, in her inner experience, she saw her mother breaking down into tears and weeping uncontrollably. Her mother stopped abusing her and was just weeping. Eventually, in her inner experience, they embraced. And in that embrace, my client felt a profound lifting. And with that lifting, she came out of the experience. Now, it's clearly, clearly a healing and beautiful experience. And we could just end it there. We could just see it as a lovely psychological experience. We could say that my client imagined the past in some way that allowed her to hold her own self-respect and loving nature. And that in itself is obviously healing. Further, we, we could say that she was able to hold the memory in a different way and see herself and her own love as powerful. And all of that is clearly psychologically healing. And we could explain it from that psychological perspective. Even Krishnamurti said, real change can only take place when the mind comes to the problem afresh, not with all the jaded memories of a thousand yesterdays. So perhaps this is what happened. She got her mind free from those old painful interpretations of a thousand yesterdays. But if that's the only explanation running here, how do we explain that two days after this experience, her mother emailed her? This is the mother from whom, with whom she'd had no contact for many years, who had not tried to contact her, and she had not tried to contact her mother. And there was an email from her mother. First, she was a little scared to open it, but she did. She thought, okay, I can do this. I, I know I can stand in love and in the truth of me, even as I open what might be an email full of abuse. But the email wasn't full of abuse. It was mother with deeply contrite spirit admitting honestly, rawly admitting her wrongdoing and abusiveness, and asking, pleading, begging if they could find any way to have a relationship beyond this. Well, the daughter called her mother for the first time in many, many years. The discussion was long and difficult. It wasn't easy but ultimately was filled with love and with forgiveness, and they've continued a relationship. A mere psychological change in the internal workings of my client 
cannot explain her mother contritely contacting her within days. The only explanation there is that I believe, I, I, now this is my belief, okay, believing here, but the only explanation there is is that we were accessing and using that nonlinear state of consciousness and changing things from there. From there, things could be changed in that time period that could affect this time period because that time was not linear. And from this taking effect, in, from that state of nonlinear time, everyone in the scenario experienced something differently, even my client's mother. It's not just an internal psychological experience of my client. Something prompted mom as well. So there's a great power for good in being able to know how to access and use these underlying truths and the energies of these truths of creation. Especially as healers, we need to know, not just believe. Of course, we can live our lives without that deeper knowing of the unseen. We can just be responding to what we see and we believe. But when we do know the truth of energy and its actions and interactions and how to access that, we can create with that energy. You know, it's one thing to be a responder to the rules. It's another to work with those rules to create something that the rules themselves have not yet created. That's healing. That's bringing beauty into this world of illusion. Sri Kaleshwar often talked about the difference between a bhakti approach and a shakti approach to spirituality. And I think this issue we're talking about today is a primary aspect of that difference. To be able not just to honor God through our love and through our right actions and through our belief, but use the properties of God's energies to create. Sri Kaleshra once said that the Avadutes and saints were co-creating with the mother. I think that's a similar statement. It's talking about being able to use our understanding of our access to those energies to co-create with those energies. For those avadutes and saints, the point is to know her well enough to be recognized by her and create with her. She is the underlying truth in this version. She is the omnipresent energy of everything that is the truth I'm speaking about today that I want us to know. If we are to know her or God, we have to know in this way of the true energy of everything. That is God. That energy is her. And 
if God and Mother are this energy, we too are this energy. We are particles of her, particles of God. And we must find her and God in us. We must know the truth of our own souls as well. That's the point of knowing. To go beyond belief to a knowing that guides our ability to become our own soul nature and to use that power to create for good. Now, the cities are an operating principle of those underlying energies of God. And we often talk about them as the Asta cities or eight powers held by Durga. But they are, there are more cities than this. But these are the primary ones for us to know and to be able to master. And in the Sri Chakra creation story, we can see that the cities as powers of creation, not just as powers held by the mother, but powers which are the power of creation itself. Now, the Sri Chakra, just to for those who don't know, is a diagram of the mother. It is her heart. It is her womb. It is her creation action and ability. So this Sri Chakra creation story goes something like this. From the Sri Chakra's energy, the Brahma Kundalini was born. From the Brahma Kundalini energy, the Siddic powers came. From the cities, the human souls, the human creation came. The cities command on the five elements. Everything in creation is made up of the five elements. So we can see that understanding the Siddic powers here as a nature of the energy of God or Mother, a nature of the Brahma Kundalini, they are the powers of the energy to create. And from these powers of creation, everything in form comes forward. The human souls, the human creation, the five elements. And those same six powers can be used to command on the five elements and on nature and on this creation. You know, I was in London when Sri Kaleshwar was there and one, one of the times that he was there, he was there many times. And in a rather long teaching conversation, um, he was asking the students assembled there how to make a statue bleed or how to get ghee straight from the cow. And in that long conversation that ensued and that, that method that he had, Students offered everything from mantra processes to womb chakra as answers and so on. The answer Sri Kaleshwar was looking for, he finally had to offer to us and to the assembled crowd there, and it was the Siddic energy. Sri Kaleshwar also said the Siddic powers could come naturally over time to a really good meditator. And this has become medita- this is because meditation and engaging in silence opens and activates the Nada Bindu in us through which the cities flow in the nature. 
So that's another explanation for why meditation as a way of knowing. We're actually opening that Nada Bindu in us and the Nada Bindu. We're connecting to the Nada Bindu in everything through which these cities flow. And that is part of the mechanism of how a good meditator, therefore, has the Siddhic powers come to them naturally over time. And Sri Kaleshwar gave us a map of how the progress of our observation and knowing can develop. Along with knowing the Siddhic powers, and also with developing those. And he called that the stages of illusion. In the first stage, we're simply doing it. We're meditating, we're chanting, we're doing mantra practices, we're doing energetic processes. We don't really know what we're doing or how it's affecting on us or what its outcome may be, but we're doing it from belief. And we're doing it with the belief that it's going to do something that's of value for us. So we do start in that belief state there. But in the second stage of the illusion, through observation and repetition, we begin to feel and recognize the symptoms of the energy to which this doing is connecting us. We begin to feel and pay attention to the energy through our own experience of it and come to know it at the experiential level and through observation and repetition of that, through our experimenting with that, we can take ourselves to the third stage of the illusion where we begin to see the repeatable patterns of that energy. We begin to know how to create that in a reliable, repeatable fashion. And this, this is the real beginning of knowing this third stage of the illusion. And then in the fourth stage of the illusion, which Sri Kaleshwar talked about later um, in his life, we begin to know how to use that energy and be co-creators with the mother, like the Avadis and the saints. And this movement through these stages of illusion all depend not only on practice, but on observation, repetition, experimentation, experiencing something beyond our mind. And it's just as in scientific method, but expressed here as spiritual method. So, how do we get to that? Well, obviously, we get there in meditation and observation of those states of consciousness and repetition and experimentation, as we've been saying. But also Sri Kaleshwar offered other ways as well. His main one I'm going to talk about today was implementation into the illusion. We have to implement into the illusion the divine energy we received and charged. We have to experiment with that. We have to take the energy into the illusion and get the reflection back from the nature. So, and what does that reflection back from the nature mean? It means to experiment with it, to see how it works, to come to know how it works. In a way, we move ourselves from the first stage of the illusion to the second and third and fourth stages by doing that, by taking the energy that we've come to know, 
and then using it in the world, experimenting with it in the world, seeing how it acts and interacts in the world, and gaining that knowledge of how to use it to become co-creators. It requires first our experience of the energy, but also then our use of the energy, the observation, recalibration of our use from that observation. We have to know the blocks that are there to our accessing that energy or using that energy or understanding how it's behaving. We have to work to eliminate those blocks and then try again. We have to experiment and find the repeatable patterns of energy and its use. We have to implement it and shift and change with respect to that energy's implementation. Now, so many of Kaleshwar's students have been given such amazing blessings. And we've charged so many powerful channels and systems of mantra and yantra. But I wonder how many of us really know what we have. Because we don't know what we have till we try to use it. We have to do the work of moving through those stages of illusion, not only to know what we have, but also to know who we really are. Now, I know that when Sri Kaleshwar was still in the body, that things, things moved so quickly that if you didn't chart that mantra system right away after learning it, he was on to the next thing and there was just no time. And I'm really sure that most of us really did not have the time of reflection or implementation fully on each one of the things that we received. But you know what? We have that time now. And perhaps that's what this time is meant to be for us. We need to implement, to experiment, to reflect. We need to know what we have and who we are. You know, I was discussing the progress of one student with her, and she told me, oh, you know... I charged that mantra, but nothing's really gotten better in my life. And she was very disillusioned by that, disillusioned of the process, disillusioned of the mantra, because of this. And in fact, she was feeling like it really just seemed to bring up more problems. But I think this reaction misses the point. The charge is from the process, but the change is up to us. Charging gives us an access point. It gives us a channel of connection. But we have to use that channel. We have to use that energy. We have to change ourselves to meet its power and its possibilities. It will bring us exactly what needs to be changed for us to be able to embody it. So yeah, it can make our lives difficult more difficult than it seemed before. But that's because our lives have to change to meet that energy properly. But we must do that changing. We have to attend to our blocks that were brought forward by that process. We have to try to use that energy 
We have to implement and see and reflect. Then we must change and implement again based on that reflection. The knowing comes from repeating it, using it, understanding how to use it, understanding how it affects. In this way, we move through those stages of illusion. And further, we can use that energy to create. Create that better life. Create that deeper soul knowing. Create the possibilities of our own healing and the healing of others. So this is my point today about knowing beyond believing. We can believe with great beauty and love. We can be Bach. But to be shocked, we must engage the process of knowing. We must experiment, observe, reflect, and find the use and repeatable nature of the divine energy. That is truth. This is the nature of the city Purushas, who use processes to create miracles in this realm. And we must at least strive for this, to know, to use, to deeply understand. So that's my point today. But beyond this, there is more. Beyond knowing comes being. And this is the Avadut stage, past the city Purusha stage we're trying to achieve here. In that Avadut stage, it's becoming one with the energy of truth. For this issue of truth, it's an infinite process of enlightenment. But that's a topic for another time. This is Cindy Lindsay Royale for Divine Lineage. You have been listening to Divine Talk Radio. Heal, empower, and awaken. With your hosts from the Divine Lineage Healing Center in Laytonville, California. Namaste. Namaste.